And so here we go. It says, Through all the changing scenes of life, in trouble and in joy, the praises of my God shall still my heart and tongue employ. Of his deliverance I will boast, till all that are distressed from my example comfort take and charm their griefs to rest. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, with me exalt his name. When in distress to him I called, he to my rescue came. The hosts of God encamp around the dwellings of the just. Deliverance he affords to all who on his succour trust. Oh, make but trial of his love. Experience will decide how blessed are they and only they who in his truth confide fear him ye saints and you will then have nothing else to fear make you his service your delight your wants shall be his care as i say that's quite a nice that's quite a nice hymn that isn't it and based on psalm 34 Perhaps you could read it later and see how that it all, uh, how that resembles the hymn. So we shall have our, our, our main Bible reading uh, on which the, the sermon is based. And that's in Mark uh, chapter 9. Mark's Gospel and it is chapter 9. We're beginning to read at verse 30. And this is talking about Jesus and the disciples now. It says, They departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he, Jesus, uh, would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. And he came to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace for by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the 12 and saith unto them, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And he, he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Amen. Well. Whosoever shall receive one of such children. Uh, that word receive is welcome, really. And so the, the theme, I suppose, is um, true greatness. Uh, last time we looked at the issue of unbelief. We looked at unbelief in atheists, in those who believe in God, and also even in the church of God itself, unbelief. And we, we encouraged ourselves with the scriptures 
to, to fight against unbelief and, the, and to beg God that he would build us up in the faith. So now Jesus is uh, he's with his disciples and he's, he's decided it's time to move on. He's now approaching the final route, his final route, and the disciples follow him uh, as he makes his way southwards to Jerusalem for his appointment with death. Jesus determines now the disciples <clears throat> the disciples need to be instructed uh, once again in the purpose of his mission. They previously, as, as you might remember, not fully grasped everything about the prediction of his death and resurrection and their Jewish ideas about the Messiah were proven difficult to remove. So note how Mark... Uh, puts this they were afraid to ask Jesus for clarification it says now it could be it could be they knew what the answer would be the answer would be a rebuke and they didn't want to hear it and I wonder also whether they were thinking back about just how strongly Peter had been rebuked by Jesus and they didn't want to be in that position and suffer the same humiliation. Matthew tells us in, in this episode that the disciples were, were, were sad as well as confused. So I think they were sad about the death, which they could they could understand, but they were confused about the idea of resurrection. Anyway, these men were to become the foundations of that great building of God called the New Testament Church. And you may well marvel that such a bunch of people could be used by Jesus in this way. We've seen their childishness in their understanding. We've seen a lack of prayer. And today we witness their sinful desire for self-glorification. So Jesus had determined that they, they needed a they needed a proper sit-down talk with Jesus without any of the distractions of, of the crowds of people. And it's for this reason that Jesus takes the route that he does. He bypasses the towns on the route south. And so having seen signs of sin and confusion in their conversations on, on the travels, his plan is to go into a house where he can get some privacy and instruct them. So then the theme, true greatness. We're going to see how uh, and why the disciples misunderstood what true greatness was. We're going to carefully together hear uh, Jesus' teaching about greatness. We're going to see how he became himself a great example of servanthood and hopefully we can get some idea how we can better serve God and serve others ourselves. So let's think about 
how the disciples really misunderstood what true greatness was. It's, it sounds like that on this journey, in this group, Jesus had been walking a little, a little bit apart from the disciples. And they had a conversation he wasn't part of. And it was all about rank. It was all about rank, who, who was the most important. It's quite easy to see why this conversation would have started. Think about how we saw Jesus take just three disciples uh, up the mountain to witness his transfiguration. And so they, they got to see Jesus in this state, never before seen, never to be seen again by men in this world. Meanwhile, the remaining nine were dejected. They'd been, they'd been uh, left, left out of this. And they'd also, if you remember, they'd, they'd failed to drive out an evil spirit from a man. They'd been humiliated. And the experience of the other three disciples, when they come down and told them, that would surely only magnify the, the feeling of, uh, I don't know, maybe um, worthlessness or something. We can only imagine how exactly the conversation went on the journey. But I think perhaps Andrew, Andrew maybe, perhaps Andrew was arguing for being high up in the ranking because he was one of the first ones to be chosen by Jesus as a disciple. James might have argued he was more important as one of the as one of the the only three to see the transfiguration. Uh, Peter, well, he may have claimed to be at the top of the hierarchy because he was, you know, he was he was the front man, wasn't he? And 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 he made that real classic uh, confession about Jesus being the true Messiah. And John. What about John, the one acutely aware of Jesus' love for him, who wrote so much of the New Testament? Well, he, he wouldn't have been shy in promoting himself. And in fact, what we'll see in uh, next week or the week after is we'll see him ask for a very, very privileged position uh, in glory next to Jesus. What's astounding, really, is that so soon after Jesus had been talking about his death, that they should be squabbling about rank. Well, Jesus then asks them what they were talking about. This time, this time he knows it already. We've seen, haven't we? Sometimes Jesus employs his divine power to to um, read people's hearts, while on other occasions he gets information from others. So, for example, he, he may have just simply overheard some of their conversation on the journey and, and just worked out what the disagreement was about. Anyway, the disciples didn't answer, probably because they knew their ambitions were sinful. 
some readers of the this of these uh, of this passage um I've wondered is is it really true that a gang of grown men would be talking about who was the most important it seems so utterly childish but we need to understand their thinking it was consistent with Judaism in general believe it or not for example uh, rabbinical writings often talk about the seating arrangements in paradise where those who keep the law most will sit the closest to, to God even closer to God than the angels for some of them and in preparation for that time to come they included these sorts of arrangements in everyday life whether it was seating plans for meals or just their general attitude to uh, inferiority and superiority they thought it quite fair to start practicing now what would be the arrangement for all eternity in addition to this the whole uh, Greek world thought in the same way so the whole background of the whole known world was the same you, you will have heard of Plato a philosopher and he's regarded as one of their greatest thinkers and he said how can a man be happy when he has to serve someone you see it, their society had clear ideas about servants and service and it was not the, the biblical one the truth is friends all conversation about being the greatest or most important are completely irrelevant in the church of God they show nothing but the depravity of the human soul so listen to what the prophet says about such people the scripture was there a moment ago it's from Isaiah and chapter 2 and verse 12 for the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty and upon everyone that is lifted up and he shall be brought low Our world today, if you if you look around, is thoroughly affected by this idea of status. People like to categorise themselves and others. They they rank each other by status. And for the most part, people want to climb the status ladder and become important, feel important think about think about it people don't celebrate a job promotion because it gives them more opportunity to serve others do they their joy comes from the increased status the extra responsibility they might they might enjoy extra responsibility and that might not be a bad thing in itself but for the most part the joy is because of their status and they they know that presumably there'll be an increase a slight increase in income and that might allow them to stretch themselves a bit more and just project a, a life that shows their increased status to other people 
It's sad, but Christians are not immune from this type of behaviour. Now, of course, when God saves us, he forgives us from all sin. That's past, present and future. But he doesn't remove all our baggage in terms of our everyday behaviour. There is still this influence of this crucified old man, this corpse of a former life that we are forced for the time being to drag around with us and this uh, this process of of shedding this this baggage from our former life is it's an ongoing project it's never completed this side of glory and it, it's quite sobering and sorrowful really to be pretty sure that even on the very last day of our lives <laughs> that we will we will sin somehow numerous times after a whole lifetime to practice we will still be sinning on our deathbed in some way or another we won't stop friends till we to, to won't stop till we um till we die And one aspect I've seen that Christians find seem to find difficult to discard is this habit of seeking greater status for themselves and, and viewing others in the church according to their social status. Believers will speak highly of fellow Christians who have been successful, by which they mean they've made plenty of money got a nice house and they drive around in a nice car. They tend not to speak glowingly about the middle-aged woman who's a cleaner in the local hospital. And this mindset of status even affects the structures within the church itself. We put preachers on pedestals. You can't deny it. Christians would think themselves very honoured when some famous preacher is in their company. While they may think far less of the one that God himself has actually chosen to minister to them week by week. If you say it's human nature, you'd be right, of course. It is human nature. If you said it's it's only natural, then you make light of an attitude that's sinful. When believers seek after greater status for themselves or their children, they are bringing this poisonous attitude into the church. And they're no better than the disciples here, who they perhaps look down on. Well, I said secondly, we would look at how Jesus explained what true greatness was. We see Jesus sit down now and he takes he, he takes that position. That's the position of a teacher. He sits down and he calls the disciples to come and listen to him. And there are other people in the house, obviously including at least one child. And he, he calls a child over to him. Let's say his name was Jacob. 
Jacob, would you come over here for a minute, please? And the child now takes a central place in this lesson. It's important that you understand why Jesus used a child in the way he did. A cursory glance at, at those verses might just leave you with the impression Jesus was uh, encouraging the disciples to be childlike. Now, we are to be like children in many ways, but that's not what's being taught here. To understand why Jesus used a child, we need to be aware of the status of children in that society. In the ancient world, children were largely ignored. Even here in this region of Palestine, it's a, that's a place more civilised than anywhere in the world. Children still held the lowest status in the family. It would, just, it would be wrong of us to assume children in that society were regarded in the same way as in our own. I don't need to tell you that the pendulum may have swung uh, much too far in the other direction in our own society. Uh, in, in, the, in the modern day, children are often allowed to behave however they want to. But whatever you think, the Bible describes a society where children have more of a say than they should as a cursed society. In, in the Greek and Jewish world, children were most definitely to be seen and not heard. We tend to speak about, you know, how we, 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 we exalt children. We, we say how beautiful or clever or wise or artistic our children or grandchildren are. We delight to, 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 to tell people how great they are. And it's not, not like that here. Children were effectively nobodies in the society Jesus lived in. And we're not, we're not to think Jesus was intending to elevate their status to, to what they have in our society today. His intention was to use an example of these nobodies and show why believers should treat nobodies as somebodies. I'm sure, I'm sure you're you're aware of, especially as we've gone through Mark, just how much Jesus's teachings overturned conventional thinking. Now here, he was forcing the disciples to consider welcoming into their company the most despised in society. And neither was Jesus here teaching the disciples to go and find the most miserable, the most poor, the least able-bodied people in society and pay them lots of attention more than everyone else. There's a, a social obligation in the Christian life, but it's a relatively minor one and isn't what Jesus is teaching here. Hopefully the disciples understood what he meant. If Jesus is taking the lowest in society as an example of one to be welcomed the most, he destroys the entire notion of status 
as they understood it. All your deeply held ideas about status, he tells them, are meaningless. Meaningless. This idea of uh, welcoming is worth taking notice of. When we welcome someone into our home, say, it's natural to feel honoured if that person is of a high status as we see it. Uh, it boosts our pride because we think their presence reflects on us. We're excited at the prospect of telling others uh, about the visit of this VIP because we think it'll increase our status in the eyes of others. Pride. The, the, the teaching here by Jesus is astounding because it says that whenever we take an interest in or pay regards to the least esteemed in the church of God we are effectively welcoming God himself when you and I overturn our prejudices about status and we learn to cover the fellowship of those of lower state we welcome Jesus and in welcoming Jesus we welcome God true greatness then is to be found in service right down to the so-called least in the church uh, this is a verse from our passage it's English and underneath each word is the is the Greek word that was in the original you know the Bible as it was originally given and I've highlighted there this word servant and the Greek word that we uh, that's been translated servant is diakonos diakonos and that speaks of someone serving gladly it's not not about the, the the status of someone who is a slave and this diakonos is where we get our word deacon from so a deacon in the church is, is just is a servant. So again, greatness in God's kingdom is determined not by status, but by service. The world then has uh, these ambitions different from what the Christian has or what the Christian should have. Where they have ambitions for status, where to have low self-esteem, where they spend their times chasing wealth, we are to covet spiritual riches instead. And where they, by nature, seek after more power, the disciple of Jesus looks for ways to serve others. So. Jesus isn't trying to do away with the idea of greatness. He's redefining what greatness is. The challenge to us is to be great in those things that matter to God. He likes to see us give to his other children. and There's no position that gives us so much opportunity to give than that of a servant in the church.
We might even say Jesus wants us to be great. We could go further and say Jesus wants each of us to strive to be the greatest in all the world. But in the high and mysterious logic of God, we reach this elevated position by putting everyone else in the church before us. Well, here's the last point then. We, we see how Jesus provided us with an example of true greatness through his service, through being a servant. We, you'll recall, we came across an, an, a, a second today, a second uh, prediction by Jesus of his, his death. There's a subtle difference in this prediction than the one we, we've seen previously includes the word delivered he is to be handed over to his enemies and it stuns us when we realize the one who would hand him over to the authorities was one of the people standing there being taught by him Judas I've mentioned this phrase uh, son of man before I brought it to your attention um, I think uh, last time Jesus uh, using this title for himself you, re you, you might remember then that I said that the title is used to describe Jesus' sufferings but also his enthronement and his, his rule and in Revelation do you remember we, we saw this figure a description of Jesus, in fact, that casts the reader's mind back to the book of Daniel. Because we had a figure with a, a, of, a, of a man with hair white as wool and, and this white clothing and so on. <clears throat> and, and how this, the power in this term, son of man today is in its use as uh, as part of a what we call a literary device see see Jesus deliberately puts the phrase son of man and delivered into the hands of men in the same sentence and it was meant to startle the hearer he reminds them of his humanity with the phrase son of man then he goes on to talk about his being delivered into the hands of men. In Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, it says, But he, that Jesus, made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. <clears throat> Jesus teaches us today to serve others, especially those of the household of faith. He teaches us to esteem them, view them as better than us, and, and to serve them. And in going to Calvary and dying in the place of sinners, 
he leaves us with an example of servanthood above all others. He put the entire multitude of believers in all ages before himself. In his amazing grace, he created a way to be both the greatest among us and the least among us. So how can we follow this example of service? Well, firstly, and perhaps most obviously, we are to serve God himself. We're to search the scriptures for instruction. We're to pay attention to the word preached and whatever is preached that, that you know to be, uh, you're convinced is clearly biblical, you obey it, of course. But secondly, and this is the emphasis of Jesus' teaching today, the serving others. We put our brothers and sisters in Christ first. We allow ourselves to be inconvenienced for them. We don't hesitate, if necessary, to lose out financially for their benefit. We're prepared to have less time to pursue our own interests in life in order that we might spend our time serving them. So what, what does that mean specifically for us? Some examples, perhaps, what well, we're to, for example, we're to, we're to speak to our brethren. The brethren sometimes, you know, need to talk about mundane things. That's important. They, things that need to be dealt with. It could be something as mundane as finances. It could be physical health. It could be mental health issues. We need to be prepared to spend time listening and, and count, giving counsel as we are able. And of course we speak to them we speak to them about spiritual things as well. How else do, what else can we do? Well we can we can encourage the brethren to keep going. Keep going in that race that is set before them. Don't give up now at, at this last stretch. Just keep going. We should keep our eyes open so that we can spot their needs. We should be alert to that. We should be sensitive to, 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 to their needs. If necessary, ask, asking them outright how we can help. And of course, we, we open our homes. We open our homes to them and we, we show Christian hospitality. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And of course, hospitality is welcoming people into your home. And this is what the passage is about today. And we, we, we gladly welcome the least in the kingdom of God. And if we do that, we it's as if we are inviting Jesus through the front door of our homes. God himself, in fact. I'll close with this. I want you all to... Really, fully consider yourselves as fellow labourers with me in the gospel. <clears throat> I won't lie to you and pretend that in the past that I'd never had sinful ambitions for status in the church. 
Now this is painful to admit, but you know I have I have in the past dreamt about having the, the status of some of those preachers who receive such praise from the church worldwide. But as far as I am able to examine my own heart today, the only greatness I now aspire to you that I, I, I now aspire to is to serve you my brethren in Jesus Christ that, that's, that's all I want now you must pray for me you must pray for me frequently you must pray for yourself and others but I encourage you to to yes make prayer for me a priority because it is um Think about think about Satan and, and attacking a local church. Well, the, it's not that the pastor's the most spiritual, but in terms of how the whole thing is viewed, it, it's it's a it's a better it's a better victory for Satan if he can if he can attack the pastor in some way if he can if he can cause the pastor to to stumble or fall in some way. That's more of a that's more of a, a success for Satan, if you like. And so, if we accept his focus is 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 greater on, on the, the the preachers and the and, and officers, then you should pray more for them. So remember me in prayer. Pray to God that I would never cease to tremble, as I do each week, as I as I serve in the ministry of the Word. So so please, brethren petition God on my behalf that as I at his table dish out his word that I might do it zealously and with a servant spirit I pray for you all each day the people who people who are listening who I know personally and I trust God will bless you all in the year ahead uh, I can't wait to see uh, what God has got planned for us. Amen. <clears throat> so, thank you, brothers and sisters, for joining with me. I, I can't see you, but uh, I, I know in my heart you're you're out there, and it's 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 a kind of fellowship, and it's inferior. But it is still it's still a kind of fellowship, and so it's it's a great joy to just to attempt to open up these scriptures and sh and just share what I've discovered with you and so I pray you might have a, a blessed day today and in the days ahead draw close to Jesus Christ and for some of you I will see you face to face as it were via zoom on Wednesday until then peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat>